Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We had you up a little bit longer today, didn't we? Yeah. Well, we're talking about exercise, so, you know, want to get in spiritual shape. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16 this morning. The passage we're going to look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 22. And as we shared earlier, this is a passage of scripture that Paul has directed the Thessalonians to, and really Christians down through the ages to, where he is making us aware of these eight spiritual exercises that you and I can choose to implement in our lives that if we do these, it will make us spiritually healthy and fit. Now, why is it that it's so important that we as Christians remain spiritually healthy and fit or in a good place? Well, let's go back a little bit to the last couple of weeks to the context of what we've been talking about. If you look at verses 11 through verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 5, there was a lot of responsibility that God gave to the people of God concerning how we interact with each other. In fact, uh, he told us that, you know, part of knowing that we're going to remain spiritually awake and alert is that we be part of a spiritual environment where we are always mutually encouraging one another and building one another up. Well, I don't know about you, but it's hard to encourage and build others up if I'm not in a good place spiritually. In other words, it presupposes that in order for us to really carry out the commands to be the people of God towards each other that we need to be in the church, we've got to get ourselves spiritually healthy and whole, and we've got to get ourselves in spiritual fitness, if you will, and we've got to stay there, you see. And so now Paul then follows up those commands of how we are to encourage and build each other up with these exercises, if you will, because he's very practically saying, if you and I as believers want to remain spiritually healthy and fit so that God can use us to build each other up, to encourage each other, to, to help each other to grow, then these are the things that we need to do in our lives. Now, before we look at these specifically this morning, a couple of things. One, as I shared earlier, these are imperatives. These are commands from God. These are not suggestions that God gives us to consider to implement in our lives. Like, you know, well, if I feel like it or not. No, these are God's expressed expectations for his people. These are things that are to become uh, vital to who we are as human beings and followers of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says right in the middle of this, this is God's will. These are the things that expresses God's expectations of who we are to be. Secondly, all of these verbs that you find in verses 16 through 22 are in the present tense, which means that this is to be continuous action. These are not things that are to be, you know, seasonal or temporary or I, I, I feel like rejoicing one day, but I don't feel like it the next and all of that. No, these are to be continuously operative in our lives. And these, again, are not to be optional. These are God's expressed expectations for 
his children. So that inwardly or outwardly or individually or corporately, uh, as we engage in these activities, we can become very strong, healthy, and fit for the Lord. So the first one we've already touched on is to always rejoice. And as I said earlier, really rejoice just simply means to find our joy in God. Wow. Now that, that's simple to say. But for you and I as Christians to carry that out every day, because let's face it, there's a lot of times even as followers of Jesus Christ where we're trying to find our joy in someone or something other than God. And God is saying the, the only way one can truly be joyful, irregardless of circumstances and situations in life, is to get to a place where our joy is grounded and centered in God alone. Where we wake up every day, again, just thankful that we know God, that we are known by God, that we have a relationship with God, that we are children of God, that we've been transformed by His grace, and that's enough for us. We find our joy there, and therefore we can wake up every day rejoicing. Always. At all times, we as Christians are to be found in a rejoicing state. And also, as I said earlier, some Christians, I think, become afraid to rejoice. And I don't want anyone at the Oasis ever to be afraid to cut loose and rejoice. Thank you. Yeah. I've had folks say, you know why? I thought about about saying something or just shouting a word or something like that and saying amen, but I didn't. It's like, hey, go for it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Again, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So God wants us to always rejoice. You'll also notice next, though, God wants us to constantly pray. The word constantly just simply means to regularly or steadily pray. And you'll notice in this command, in this exercise here, that that one of the things that Paul is trying to get across here is that really praying is not about the time I pray and the posture that I pray from and even the place that I find myself praying from. Because from God's perspective, as a child of God, again, I should just be engaging with God, interacting with God, and communicating with God throughout my day at all times. Wherever I find myself, whatever time it is, whatever posture I'm at, whether I'm standing, sitting, you know, hanging from my feet, whatever, that I can be constantly in prayer. That's why I think Christians sometimes will look at that phrase and they misunderstand. It's not like God expects us to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, have our heads bowed, our eyes closed, our hands folded, and we are praying to him. That's not what prayer primarily is. It's not about that kind of posture. It's about having a heart towards God at all times. It's about knowing that I'm just up there just talking to God throughout my day. And I don't need to be in a specific place to do it. I don't need to have a specific time to do it. I don't even need to be in a specific posture to do it. I am just regularly and steadily to be in communion and communication with God. I am to constantly 
pray. Prayer is so vital to our spiritual strength. And it's even tied to it because there's a reason why these things are found connected to each other and in context with each other. Our joy and our prayer life a lot of times are going to be connected. If we're lacking joy, it might be because we're not spending the time we should with God in the presence of God talking to God. Maybe we're carrying burdens and things because we fail to pray about things or talk to God about things. And so it sort of robs us of our joy. So one of the other things I want you to note, especially not today so much, but if you go back into this passage for yourself this coming week or in the weeks ahead, and you begin to really study this passage, I want you to see the interconnectedness, if you will, between all of these exercises. They're not to be sort of separated out from one another. Where like, as some people do, sort of like when they go into a gym, they may concentrate on their upper body one day and let their lower body go. That's not what God expects of his children. Like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on rejoicing today and I'll let prayer go till next week. No, they're they're just all to be a part of our life because they're all interconnected. Because if I am rejoicing always, then I'll be probably praying constantly. And then the next one. Reminds us of why it's important for us to read the Bible slowly and take in the Word of God slowly and not rush through the Bible. When Paul says the next exercise is in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Because some Christians like they'll, they'll read that and go, oh, how can God expect me to be thankful for this and for that? These things are terrible. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that God expects us to give thanks for everything. He says, in everything, give thanks. You see, in everything, give thanks. There are many things that's going to happen to us and to others that would be inappropriate inappropriate for us to give thanks for. But God is saying, as a child of God, we can learn to give thanks in everything. In the midst of what you and I or others are going through. Why? Well, in the words give thanks, in the Greek language, there is a word that literally sits at the heart of that word. And it's the Greek word for grace. And what God is teaching us through this is this. That the reason that you and I as children of God can give thanks in everything is because we can always be grateful for God's grace. We can always acknowledge in every circumstance, even in the pain and trials and difficulties of life, that God's grace is sufficient. And that God's grace will be there for us, supplied to us, furnished for us at all times. So that even though the things that God may ask us to go through or the things that life may deal us that are not going to be something that we're thankful for. But yet in that moment, we can be so thankful because God is going to give us the grace to deal with it. He's going to give us that supernatural enablement and empowerment to be able to handle it. And that's why the Bible says we 
we've got to learn to exercise that kind of, of thankful grace muscle, if you will. That no matter what happens to us, in that moment, we can say, but thank you, God, I know you're going to give me the grace to deal with this. A great illustration of this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul has this thorn in the flesh that he wants God to get rid of for him. And so he goes to God and he prays three times, God, take this thorn away. And what's God's response? God's response to Paul is, I'm not going to take this away because in my wisdom, uh, this is, is going to make you stronger. That this is going to make you more faithful. This is going to make you spiritually fit. So I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to give you my grace, which is sufficient. And that's what Paul had to learn. Through the things in life that maybe he wasn't thankful for, that in all those things that he went through, whether it was imprisonment, whether it was beatings, scourgings, shipwrecks, you name it, that in that moment, Paul could give thanks because he knew that God's grace would be there for him and that God's grace truly was sufficient to help him and support him through whatever it was that life was going to bring his way. In everything, give thanks. And then Paul goes on to say, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that's obviously connected to this whole in everything give thanks, but really where it sits in the passage between verses 16 and verse 22, it really surrounds the whole passage. What Paul is saying here is simply, all of these exercises are God's will. These are God's expressed expectations for His children. And what does it mean when something is God's will? It means this is God's best. This is the offer of God's best for His children. God could not offer us anything better than this. That's why God wants us to get to a place as His children where we choose to do His will. Because if we choose to do His will, we can do no better. You see, whatever God has determined is His will, He also then has determined in His infinite wisdom, this is the best that I can offer you. Under these circumstances. And I'm telling you, you want to enjoy life at the highest level, at the highest quality, then you will choose my will. You will choose to always rejoice. You will choose to constantly pray. You will choose to, in everything, give thanks. Because you'll also notice, just like in physical exercises, that these are not things that God is going to force on us. And we're going to see this in just a moment. These are things that if you and I want to get healthy spiritually and get fit spiritually, we've got to choose to do. God gives us that volitional will to be able to choose or not to choose to do. And that's why some Christians are spiritually in shape and fit and strong and can encourage and build up their brothers and sisters in Christ and bring glory to God. And other Christians are very flabby and out of shape and unhealthy spiritually and weak and sickly and are having a hard time keeping their own lives together and their own head above water, much less, you know, seeing God use them to encourage and build up their brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, just like in the physical world, 
If you and I are not in a good place, it doesn't just negatively affect us, it affects others around us. And obviously then in the context of Paul dealing with the importance of a spiritual community and all of that, and us all staying awake and alert until the Lord comes back because the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night, it's imperative for us to make sure that we not be selfish and get ourselves out of shape. But that we remain in shape spiritually, not just for ourselves, but so our lives can benefit and profit others as well. And then Paul goes into this. Paul said the next exercise is to not extinguish the Spirit. Do not extinguish the Spirit. And I like that translation in the net. Because the Spirit is pictured many times in the Bible as a fire. A fire that God places within us through His Holy Spirit. And in a sense, it's just like Paul saying... Don't throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit of your life. Do not suppress the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not hinder the Holy Spirit. Because when God gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, the Holy Spirit then throughout our whole earthly life is is yearning. He has this passion to get us to a place as God's children where our love for God is undivided, where our love for God is undistracted, where we are in a place where we are surrendered to God and where we're not fighting against what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. We sang about this this morning. And we can either, as Christians, get very good, if you will, in a positive way, at when we know the Spirit of God is moving us to do or not to do something, or leading us this way or guiding us this way, that we just go with the Spirit. And we do not extinguish the Spirit and what He wants to do in our lives. But we can also get very proficient and very good at saying no to the Spirit. At resisting the Spirit of God. I even sense it when I'm speaking. Believe it or not, that God gives me, again, through Him, the ability to know that people are sort of putting walls up out there as I'm speaking and and throwing up resistance against what God is trying to do in their lives. That's why even a couple weeks ago, I just stopped the invitation and said, let's talk for a moment. Because I could feel it. I could sense it. It happens all the time in our lives. And the amazing thing is when you think about it, that God, as the God of the universe, who's our creator and sustainer and even our savior and our Lord, he allows us to say no to him. I mean, he could have just said, you're not saying no to me. I always know what's best. I'm going to force you to do what I want to do because it's always your best. But God chose. And Stephen touched on this a couple weeks ago, why God went down this path. So if you didn't hear Stephen's message, go back and look at it on podcast. But God chose to give us a free will. He did not want to go that route. He wants us to get to a place where we realize God's will really is best. God's way is the best way to go, not not my way. And so, Spirit, if you're leading, guiding, directing this way, I'm not going to throw water on that fire. I'm going to let you 
take me where you want to take me. I'm going to let you grow me where you want to grow me. I'm going to let you place me where you want to place me. And even today, some of you may be out there today and you're listening to this and you know the Spirit of God because maybe He's already been speaking to you about something particular in your life, something specific. Something He wants you to take on or maybe something He wants you to give up. And you know this. You've been wrestling with the Spirit for a while. My encouragement to you is don't get good at resisting the Spirit. Get really good at letting the Spirit have His way in your life. Don't hinder the Spirit. Don't stifle the Spirit. Do not suppress the Spirit of God. And then he says next, do not treat prophecies with contempt. The word prophecies is just another way of saying messages from God. Do not treat messages from God with contempt. Do not treat the Word of God with contempt. What's contempt mean? Well, it means to make light of or to think little of. In other words, don't take the messages that you're hearing from God or the truth of God's Word, don't take it lightly. Don't think of it as of little or low value. And so the opposite of that would be That in order to get into shape spiritually and to stay fit, I've got to place a very high value, in fact, the highest value on messages from God, on the Word of God. How do we do that? How do you do that? I mean, there's other, you know, there's ways that we can apply that to our lives. Certainly one is come to church to hear the Word of God. Others are open up my Bible during the week and do my own personal devotions and time in the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. You know, read the Word of God. Saturate your mind with the Word of God. These are ways that we show God, I value God, your Word. I value your message to me. It is of highest priority. It is of highest influence. I do not think Little of your word. In fact, I think so highly of it that these are the things that I have done and these are the things that I've implemented in my life to to show that I'm not treating the word of God and the messages that come from God lightly. I'm taking them very seriously. This is God speaking to me. In fact, that's one of the things that Paul shared with the Thessalonians of why he was so thankful for them. Because he said to them earlier in this letter, he said, when you've heard this message that came through me from God, you didn't treat it as just a human being speaking to you. You treated it as if God was speaking directly to you. And Paul was commending them for that and affirming them in that. Because none of us, if we are followers of God, should treat the word of God with contempt. It should be of great value to us. It's one of the reasons why we, again, have fashioned our ministry here at the Oasis the way we have and why we place such an emphasis on the Word of God. And obviously, and again, in the context and connected with each other, how does the Holy Spirit a lot of times lead and direct and guide us through His Word? So don't miss the fact that not extinguishing the Spirit and not treating prophecies with contempt are tied together in this list. 
Because many times the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to try to speak to our hearts. But then Paul, on the heels of not treating prophecies of God with contempt, shares this command. But examine all things. In other words, Paul's saying, but don't misunderstand me. Don't be these people who just swallow whatever you hear. Who just, you know, have no perception and no discernment. And whatever you hear, you just believe that's coming from God. Because that's not good. God says, you and I as children of God have got to, we have got to examine all things. The word examine means to test it, to prove it, to scrutinize it. It was a term that was used in biblical times about determining the authenticity or or even the worth of certain things, like even coins. They would be tested. They They would be put to the test. They would maybe even be put in fire to see, are these real? You know, is this a real diamond? Well, we'll see, because real diamonds will hold up. Fake diamonds won't. We're, we're going to see how real something is. Paul's saying, I've got to have, you and I have got to have that mentality when it comes to all these things that we take in. Because there's so many things flooding our minds every day. We've got to make sure that we are testing them. That we're not just letting them go through and somehow begin to influence our lives without putting them to the test. Are we testing everything that comes into our life? Are we examining it? Are we scrutinizing it? Are we just letting it in without any kind of basis? You see, God wants to influence and impact our lives, but he wants to make sure that what gets through is only what comes from him. Because he understands if we let things into our lives and let it through that's not from him, it will begin to decay our lives, destroy our lives, deteriorate our lives. It will not be good for us. It would just be like eating a really bad diet physically. What's it going to do? It's going to start breaking our body down. But if we eat healthily, then it's going to build our body up. And so God doesn't want to let any of that contaminated food, if you will, that bad spiritual food, get into our lives. So we got to test it. Now, real quickly, let me give you just four quick tests. These are not exhaustive and these are not foolproof, but these are something that I've used throughout my life to test all things. One, the scripture test. Does this that I'm listening to or hearing, does it line up with what scripture teaches? That's one. Number two, the savior test. Does what I'm hearing exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and put him or keep him in his proper place? Then there is the spirit test. If the spirit of God is living within us and God gave him to us so that he could lead us and guide us into all truth. If you and I are hearing or listening to something that doesn't jive with the truth of God, the Holy Spirit will begin to make us feel uneasy and and lacking peace about what we are hearing or experiencing because it doesn't fit, it doesn't align with God and the nature and character of God. And that's part of the reason why God gives us His Spirit. And then the final one is the saints test. And what I mean by that is finding a couple saints that you know has a 
close walk with God and who knows the word of God that you could bounce this off of and see what, what do they think? Would they say, yeah, that, that's something that I think is biblical? Or would they go, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds a little fishy to me. The Bible teaches us that one of our regular spiritual exercises is to examine all things. But then once we've examined it, once we've tested it, once we've proven it and scrutinized it, and we let it into our lives, then notice the next command. Hold fast to that which is good. Once you've allowed it into your life, then Paul says, hold fast to it. The words hold fast simply means to keep at hand or keep close by. In other words, don't let it get too far from you. So in other words, let's just talk specifically about messages from God and what we've been talking about in this context. Once you let the truth of God through and it's passed the test, then man, hold on to it all the time. Don't let it get far away from you. Keep it right there. Keep it right at the forefront of your minds and your thinking and your thought processes. Don't let it get too far from you. By the way, the word good here simply means what is of genuine value or greatest worth. When you and I find what's really valuable and really worthwhile, God is basically saying, keep it close. And he's not just talking about his truth and his promises and his word. I think he's also even in this context talking about fellow believers. Once you find a good friend or a fellow believer that that wants to stay awake and alert till the day of the Lord and and wants to keep growing and maturing, man, keep them close because he who walks with the wise will be wise. Whatever is really worthwhile and valuable, keep it close. But then notice the contrast and the parallel in the final commander exercise. But stay away from every form of evil. And the words stay away mean keep far away. Some Christians, I think, think that somehow they can snuggle up to sin and evil and and wickedness and somehow not get burned. And God says, foolish, foolish, foolish. A child of God should seek to stay as far away from anything evil as possible. And by the way, the word evil just simply means what is harmful or hurtful to us and to others. What is not good for us spiritually. What is unhealthy. What will not make us fit. What will not make us strong. The Bible says stay far away. And then the other key word here in this phrase is form. Stay away from every form of evil. The way I like to look at this word form is packaged presentation of evil. In fact, I even look at it as advertising in our day and age. In other words, however evil comes to you, however it's advertised, whatever package it comes in, don't fall for it. Think of it in this context. As a lure on a line, like a fish. Don't, don't go for the lure. You're going to hurt if you bite down on that lure. Because even though it looks really good, whatever bait's on there, however it's packaged, whatever form it's in, don't take it. Because that's how the enemy works. 
The enemy understands I can't come to children of God with evil without it being packaged in a in another way. I, I've got to come at God's children packaging what's what's really unhealthy and not good for them, but I've got to make it look good on the outside. And so that's, again, why you and I have to be spiritually fit and spiritually strong and spiritually prepared because you and I will fall for these forms of evil all the time because we won't recognize them as readily as we would as if we're in shape spiritually and we're strong spiritually, then we're going to be able, once we are, you know, always rejoicing and constantly praying, once we're giving thanks in everything and, and you know, not extinguishing the spirit and not treating prophecies with contempt and, and making sure that we examine all things and hold fast to that which is good, then we won't fall for whatever form of evil, evil comes in. Why is it important that we allow these eight qualities to be a vital part of who we are because it's going to build us up spiritually. We're going to be spiritually stronger. And in that spiritual state, we'll be able to then strengthen and encourage and build up our brothers and sisters in Christ, which is also an expressed expectation of God for His children. See, I think one day when we get the glory and God, and we are giving an account of our lives to God, one of the things we're going to give an account for is what did we do or not do to build up and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ? And if we weren't in a good place spiritually, I think God would say, why didn't you get in a good place spiritually? Did you not love your brothers and sisters enough to get to a good place spiritually where I could use you to impact and influence their lives in a more positive way? But there's another reason why we need to exercise spiritually and maintain our fitness. I want to direct you back to a verse I ended with last week, but I want to do it one more week. And that is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Where Paul writes to the Ephesians, To Him, to God, be glory in the... What's that next word? Church. (laughs) That's you and I. The church. To Him be glory in the church. And last week I shared that the word glory, you could also translate that as honor. That God's honor is in the hands of the church. That blows my mind. Would you, I know I wouldn't, would would you give your honor into the hands of someone else? I wouldn't. I don't even do a good job with my own honor. And yet God, in a sense, entrusts his honor to us. He says, I want you as my people. To show the world who I really am. Because when you study the word glory, literally the word means manifestation. It means seeing God for who He really is. And God says, 
You know where people should see who I am for what I really am and who I really am? In the church. And yet, sad to say, down through the history of the church, there are many churches where you don't really see who God really is. Because God's people are not being who we are supposed to be. And therefore, who God is, is lost. His honor is lost. His reputation is lost because of His people and who we are being. And so it is time for us as the church to step up and be the people individually and corporately that we are supposed to be knowing that God's honor is in our hands and we want to bring glory and honor to God in our church. We want people to be able to look at the Oasis Church and to see who God really is. Not who we want Him to be, not who we create Him to be, not who we think Him to be, but who He really is. As we close in prayer, I'm going to ask our worship team to come and to get in place here on stage. And let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Father, it is unbelievable to me that you entrust your honor to us. Lord, I pray today that this truth would rock our world a little bit, would wake us up, and would inspire and motivate us to either keep being the people of God that you call us to be and that you expect us to be, or that we begin to become that people. And God, we know that there are no shortcuts. God, it takes spiritual discipline and, and exercise. It takes commitment and dedication and consecration to, to be the people of God that you expect us to be. It means we've got to get up every day with the express purpose of putting our spiritual life, our spiritual health, our spiritual well-being, our spiritual fitness above everything else in our life. To make our relationship with you a priority. And God, it really all starts with surrender. With just saying, God, my life's not about me anymore, it's about you. That I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God, that's what it's all about. So today, this morning, in this place, God, as your spirit is moving in our lives, may we not put out his fire. May we not hinder or quench or stifle or suppress him in any way, but let him truly have his way in our lives today and in the life of this church. And may we stand up as the people of God and begin to be the people to whom there can be glory for you in this place. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing this song of consecration and dedication to our Lord today. Let's give him everything today.